You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome into a brand new edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And the way that John is bouncing his head, the way that I walked in with a bounce on my step, I think we are ready to see fans at Lumen Field for the first time in over a year and a half, John. Oh Am I wrong about that? Or is that? I mean, well, you can count the preseason game. There are fans there, but it's not the same. We all know. Right. You know I, until you get a game that matters and you get the full, you know, packed full of fans. Yes, this will be the first time since the end of the 2019 season. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm so excited to hear that noise. I can't decide if I am more excited to experience it and to feel that noise on my own or to see first-time Seahawks players getting that experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean like just watching them. How many of these them. guys, how, how much roster turnover there is every year, how many of these guys have been here since you know, the end of 2019? It's, I mean, Jamal Adams, Carlos Dunlap, all these guys on defense. This could be fun for them. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. And, of course, it's already fun because the Seahawks have started the season 1-0 and after a win against Indianapolis. Dreaming of going 2-0 and to start the season, I don't know what Seahawks fans would do with themselves after all of the question marks, all of the anticipation in week one. Here's where I want to start the conversation today, John, with what we learned in Indianapolis and what we are looking at, what we think is going to happen on Sunday. So let's start with this. What did you learn about the Seahawks offense? I think we just start to see what the Shane Waldron offense is going to look like. I mean, obviously things will evolve. Things will change over time. But we all wondered, you know, what's it going to be? How's it going to function right out of the gate? Are there going to be, you know, any growing pains? And I'm, I'm sure they'll continue to get better. But that was a very encouraging start. We saw a lot of what we heard about in camp. We saw the tempo. We saw the balance. You know, Chris Carson was really involved. We saw the intermediate passing game. Some of those easy completions to tight ends and to Carson. So a lot of good stuff. Well, and we saw what it meant to be balanced and explosive at the same time. When you look at those numbers, Russell Wilson threw 23 passes. That is fewer than in any game last year. And yet he had the second highest quarterback rating of his career. He was at 152.3. And you had plays like that 69-yard strike to Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I mean, it really was that nice balance. Tyler Lockett did a good job talking about after the game. That balance of we can be explosive still, but we can also take what the defense is giving us. In the first half, for example, they were taking DK Metcalf away. Okay, fine. You hit Tyler Lockett for some big games. You hit those tight ends. You know, you, you still found ways to move the ball without one of your best players involved at all. And then, sure enough, second half, you get DK going. Well, and I think you just hit on it, right? It was some of those gimme yards and those underneath routes that Russell was way more attuned to than perhaps in previous years. Now, obviously, we saw a lot of 12 personnel on the field. In fact, that scoring drive from Gerald Everett, I think that was a almost predominantly tight end yeah, drive. Four, that touchdown drive was four tight end, two each to yep. Disley and Everett. Yep, but all of those I'm going to say easy, right? It, they're yeah. not easy yards, right? But but he went for that way more often than we have seen him in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of what Shane Waldron was brought in to do, just in a lot of ways make life easier on that quarterback. Well, and it goes to show that you can have the same overall results but implementing a different style because 
Last year, Russell was throwing four touchdown passes a game, but the offense looked completely different. This one does feel like it's clicking on all cylinders. The offensive line, man, were they in sync with this one. And it is really hard to practice that zone blocking scheme against your own team, yeah. right? And know what it's going to look like week one. Yeah, and against a really good defense are starting out off against. Uh, I'm really encouraged with what we saw there. And, uh, you know, the pass protection was really good. That was a big concern. And there were three sacks, but really a couple of those were Russ scrambling around, you know, going down before getting hit. So it, that was, there's a lot of good stuff from that line. You mentioned the Colts defense. That was a top 10 defense from last year. Yeah. You didn't have a whole lot of turnover on that defense as compared to the Colts offense, right? It, it's tough to really know when you had Carson Wentz operating an offense that was down a, a couple of guys on their offensive line. Do you think that what we saw Sunday is the true indication of how the Hawks can and will perform against a top 10 defense? I mean, again, we got to wait and see. But, yeah, I, I think if anything, you would expect – the offense to maybe struggle a little early because everything was new. So to start that way against a good defense on the road in a pretty hostile environment, I do think that we're going to see, I mean, look, there's going to be tough games. You don't go 17 games with it looking great every week. You know, there's, they play a lot of good defenses in this division. There'll be some bumps along the road, but I, I do think from what we saw, they're much better equipped to sustain this and not have the big dip we saw last year. I was excited to see Chris Carson. And yeah. for some reason, look, I know that he's been on the, the roster. I know that he's been at practice. I know that they were holding him back. But to me, it was almost like a brand new revelation yeah, we saw of so how good of he is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for him to really show what he it does in practice just because so much of his game is the physical nature, the breaking tackles, and you just don't see all that in practice. And obviously, for you know keeping him healthy, we didn't see him at all in the preseason, so – to see him going like that, that that thirty-three yarder on third and one was just awesome to see. And yeah, it's he's. I mean, he he was a little beat up last year, and they were throwing so much. He didn't really get to do quite as much in the running game last year. I, that ninety-one yards he had was the most he'd had since the twenty nineteen season. So it's fun to see him going. Well, and you had one hundred and forty yards in the run game altogether on 27 carries. Again, a very balanced look for the Seahawks. And for DK Metcalf, you touched on it a couple of minutes ago. Not targeted at all until the second half. And yet, I think, by reading his body language on the sideline, I think he was okay with that. Yeah, I, it it I mean, just looked like he knew his time was coming. Yeah, he obviously he wants the ball coming sure. his way, and he'd rather get a bunch of targets every, every quarter of the game. But I think he understood what was going on, and he recognized – the offense was functioning fine. I think the times we've seen, there have been times he's looked a little frustrated in games when he's not getting the ball, but I think that's been games when the offense is struggling. And it's a lot different when you're a player and you think, okay, I'm not getting the ball and we're not moving the ball. I feel like I could help our team. When you're looking at it, like, well, shoot, I'd love to get a few passes thrown my way, but Tyler's going off and this is happening and we just scored on three touchdowns on three or four possessions, it's a lot easier to take it. And he knew he was going to get the ball, like you said, and he sure did in the second half. Well, and he had a penalty in the first half. He actually had two penalties in the first half, and we saw some trash talking early. He said after the game, look, he was just a little amped. It's week one. I totally get that. The The second penalty that he had, that false start. That helped. I, <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. It did. But I think it also showed us a little bit more about this offense. Now, it was hard to see on the TV copy when I went back and watched. But from the sidelines, what DK was doing was making sure that the wide receivers were in communication, right? There are so many little wrinkles in this offense, right? You can call a play, and essentially, the wide receivers just have to get to the spot on the field, mm -hmm. right? Like, 
Don't care how you get there. You just have to get there, right? And I thought it was interesting because if you watched, he was the one that was trying to make sure everybody was lined up. Just didn't happen quick enough for us to snap the ball before he could get set again. But it shows us just a little bit more. In years past, he wasn't signaling over to the official to make sure that he was on or off the line. Yeah. It was actually what was happening with that trip set mm-hmm. on the right side of the field. So I thought that was just kind of an interesting. That was the one, though, that was the third down where they got a sack. And then. Yes. So. It did help yeah, him, right? It yeah. did help. See, he knew what he was doing. He, yep. he, was, he was doing some advanced <laughs> chess right there. Sure. He, he saw the set coming, got a false start, and then they picked up the first down the next play. Yeah, well, brilliant. you know, it, it, brilliant. What do you think about the choice of hair color for him? Brilliant, you know, if it works brilliant. for him, I'm, whatever makes him happy. I, I'm not <laughs> here to, I'm not here to hear, tell DK Metcalf what to do that, with his hair. That is a good point. Whatever makes him happy happy. Defense certainly made Seahawks fans happy, Pete Carroll happy. What did we learn about the Seahawks defense? To me, the biggest thing is we learned that that defensive line depth we were excited about in camp in the preseason. That's real. You, you know, you see things in the preseason games. You see Rasheem Green, Daryl Taylor, those guys making plays, Alton Robinson, and it, it's encouraging, but you wonder, okay, how much of this is because they're going against backups? You know, what's it going to look like in the regular season? And then, sure enough, you add the guys, Benson Mayoa, you add Carlos Dunlap to it, and it looks really good and really deep. You're rotating guys in, and everybody's being productive. It, that's, you know, last year when we saw the defense turn around midseason, it was the pass rush showing up. So to start the year that with the pass rush, that to me tells me this defense can be pretty darn good all year. Well, and who gets left out of that group, yeah. right? It is so deep that you are going to have to make some hard decisions on Sundays. In fact, it was LJ Collier who was the odd man out this week. He's frustrated. He wants to play. You know, we, we sat down and talked about it in, uh, in my office and, and got, went through it and all that, and, and uh, he's doing everything. You know, he's practicing like crazy. He's had a good preseason. Um, he knows his assignments. He knows the scheme, and, and he can play. Um, it's just kind of fitting it all together, and it's a long season. You know, he's going to be a, fi- a factor for sure uh, down the road here, if, if not immediately. So um, he's, he's available every week. You know, we'll, we'll look at it all over again. You do feel bad. For, for LJ Collier, that he's left out of the rotation there. That's, you know, I'm sure he wanted to be out there. But it does show just how deep this group is. That's a guy who started 16 games last year. I mean, he was a big part of their defense, and he's unfortunately the odd man out. Obviously, you know, the, the reality of this sport is you're not going to have every defensive lineman healthy every week. So they're going to need him, and he's going to be ready to go. He, As Carol said, he has done a lot of good things in camp. So I, it's not a lack of faith in him. It was just kind of the way the numbers shook out. Well, and in talking to some members of the coaching staff, look, that is going to be a hard decision every week. And even if you are up and active, it does not mean that you're going to get all the snaps. Alton Robinson is a great example, right? He gets in, he makes plays. There are no other snaps for him in that game because of how deep that rotation is. But I know in talking to Clint Hurt, he said, look, there's two things that are happening in that room. Number one, you got a lot of guys who are competing. That only makes you better because they understand what it takes to get on the field. And number two, it is an unselfish group. We've talked about this before during training camp. In fact, Coach Hurt said it is the most unselfish group that he has ever played around where each one of those guys is cheering for the other. When you have that, now you've got great teammates and great chemistry. Exactly. And it goes back to you know, the other side of the ball, but the conversation about DK Metcalf handling it okay when he's not getting first-half right. targets. For this deep rotation to work, you can't have a defensive end who's on the sideline barking every play at his coach saying, get me back in there, I want to get my sacks, because some guys want to chase those numbers, and you you know to, to have that whatever nine-man rotation work, you need some unselfish guys. 
I'm curious your thoughts, John, on the amount of blitzes the Seahawks brought first half compared to second half. I know that they dialed it back in the second half. And I think part of that is because Indianapolis was getting some of those plays, right? Those, those underneath routes. Do you think that they will end up blitzing less based on the amount of pressure we saw those front guys get on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I think it was pro football focus. One of those analytics sites had Jamal Adams only was blitzed like four times when he averaged nine a game last year. And, and that's a good thing to me. I mean, obviously he's great at it and you want to use it when you can. And by the way, I think he was on sides on that sack that got wiped away. But irregardless of that, it's yeah, if you can get that pressure with four, that obviously makes things a lot easier on guys in back covering up. Is it my imagination or did we play more cover two? Oh, than for you sure. expected. I mean, we started seeing that last, that transition really started more last year, but we've seen more of that where it's, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing a lot of different things in coverage than they used to. Is that going to be what we see all year or was it just the matchups that they were looking to exploit? Because I'm wondering what happens when you've got guys like Julio Jones yeah. and AJ Brown out there. Do, do we see a little bit of a shift? I think, I mean, we probably will. You look, no disrespect to the guys the Colts had out there, but when their best receiver, T.Y. Hilton's on the field, their biggest threat was the running game, and the Seahawks put a lot of effort into stopping that and did a really good job. The Titans obviously have a hell of a running game too, but they've got much more legitimate threats on the outside, so you've got to put a little more energy into taking care of that. Before we dive into this week's matchup against the Tennessee Titans, fans do have a chance to watch this game, but I want to remind fans that it is required that they show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within 72 hours of kickoff to enter that game. Game time is 125. If you are vaccinated, you can bring your hard copy of your vaccination card. You can have a photo or a digital version of that. You can print off the digital version. Uh, you can upload it to the clear pass. Those are all ways that you can get in. If you are unvaccinated, you need to provide a negative COVID test within 72 hours. You can print out that copy. Tests can be PCR or rapid tests as long as they are verified by a lab. Those tests are widely available. You can visit doh.wa.gov slash COVID-19 for a list of testing locations across the site. Fans under 12 will not be required to have a negative test. Mask mandates are in effect. Everybody in the stadium is required to wear a mask at all times unless they are actively eating or drinking. I know that that sounds like a lot, John, but I want the stadium to be packed, and I don't want there to be any surprises for fans. And come early. Look, this is yes. going to be the first time. It, they're going to do everything they can to make this go smoothly, but there's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on. There's pregame concerts. There's food and drink specials. Make a day of it. Come early. Get in. Also, if you don't want to do the math yourself, 72 hours means Thursday after 1.25 p.m. is when that test needs to be administered. So there you go. Glad that you did the math. I, you know, I already had to write this, so I'm just helping people out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do Get math. your test after they, Thursday at 125, Pacific they, time if you're traveling. They told me there would be no math. No. Okay, let's dive into this matchup here. We touched on a couple of the key names. We haven't gotten to all of them, but here's what we know for sure. Despite the outcome for the Titans last week, it is a team to be feared. This is a really good team that we're playing. Um, the Titans were, you know, Division champs last year, a lot of wins, huge numbers uh, by their players and, and stats and, and, you know, all the buildup and the high-profile guys and all of that. This is a really 
it's a really exciting matchup for us. And, and uh, as was last week, you know, another really good team, and here we go again. And it feels like and as we go through the, the, the preparation and our guys learn uh, the team that we're playing against, they'll feel the, the, the legitimacy of the championship matchup. And so it's really good for us. You know, we had one on the road, now we got one at home to get this thing started, and hopefully we can get off to a really good start doing it. One of the truest rules of sports is that the transitive property does not apply to football. Just because the Titans looked bad to Arizona last week does not mean that they're going to come in and look bad again. It, that doesn't apply. It, look, these are all really good teams, and this is a team that won the division. They went 11-5 and last year. They're loaded on offense. They had a rough day. They're going to come out motivated, and you just you're not you know you can't look at it and say, oh, now this is an easy win because they they struggle with Arizona. I, I think they're going to give the Seahawks a lot better test. Well, and by rough day, the Titans' offensive line allowed six sacks, five of those to Chandler Jones. They totaled just 248 yards of offense after the game. Left tackle Taylor Luan came out and said, you know, look, this was on me. I had a really crappy game. I really need to clean this up. It is worth noting that he had ACL surgery 11 months ago. That was his first real action back. There is no way. Now, I, I get it. You're, you're not going to be 100%. There's no way that he comes out and doesn't feel that fire and that the entire Titans team doesn't feel the fire to rectify last week. Exactly. And, of course, you can't get away from those offensive players that are absolutely going to affect the game. We mentioned Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Pete Carroll also mentioned them. They're both great players, and they're they're both physical factors. You know, uh, A.J.'s really strong, plays really tough makes all of the plays, makes spectacular plays, you know, and, and catch and run. Um, Julio is like as good as you can get, you know. So that's a fantastic one-two punch. And, and I don't know who's one, who's two. It doesn't matter. They're really, really good. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about if it's not DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, this might be the best receiving duo in the NFL. I mean, there's there's a lot of other good ones out there. I don't mean to disrespect any other good duos, but these guys just big physical they're going to make it tough on these cornerbacks. I, it, I'm excited to see because, you know, cornerbacks have been such an interesting position throughout camp and we're, you know, a lot of question marks. And they both, you know, Trey, uh, excuse me, DJ Reed and Trey Flowers both performed well last week, but they didn't face a test like this. So it's going to be fun to see how they stack up. Well, and it's not just the wide receivers you have to watch out for. Derrick Henry had a quiet day last week, but he is a load to bring down. And for all that we've talked about Derrick Henry, I thought it was interesting what Bobby said in his press conference this week. Seahawks haven't really faced him as the number one back. The last time they played, he was not yeah, the leading rusher still DeMarco in the league. Murray back yeah. in, what was that, 2017, I believe. Was, Murray was still kind of lead guy. And he had a really good game, too, that game. But, yeah, it's... They haven't seen this version of Henry, who's just, you know, the every down guy just pounded on defenses. So, as Bobby Wagner said, this is going to be kind of fun but challenging for them to, to experience that type of back. The fact that he was not a factor in last week's game against the Cardinals, do you think that that is more of the product of just the offensive line of the of the Titans just struggling to get going? Yeah, and the product that they were down big so yeah. early. Like, you can't, you know, it's really hard to get that running back established when you're down double digits in the, in, you know, early in the first half of a game. So, I, you know, their line, their line's going to probably improve as they get going. As you said, you know, guys are coming off injuries, things like that. And also, if they're in a, in a more normal game situation where it's closer early on, then I, I don't think anybody has solved Derrick Henry. I don't think it's like, <laughs> oh, there's the blueprint. Here's how to hold him under 
70 yards or 60 yards or whatever he had. Well, if they had, Pete Carroll certainly would have laid that out instead of just addressing Derrick Henry like this. He's really unique. He's really unique. There have not been very many guys like him over the years, you know, because he's really fast and he's a big strider, you know, and, and he just runs through things. It's not like he's an impact runner that he's blasting off of guys. He just keeps going. You just can't get him off stride because he's such a powerful back. And he has great instincts. His instincts of how to, how to hit the line of scrimmage and how to use the, the opportunity of the blocking schemes, it, it's, it's just about impeccable. And, and so he t- takes full advantage of, of what they do. And they're, they're really committed to it. Well, and, you know, he is part of a Titans offense that before the season was described as the best collection of offensive skill talent in Titans history. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to argue against when, you know, we already talked about the receivers and now you've got a running back who rushed for more than 3,500 yards and 33 33 touchdowns the last two years. I mean, that's those are some pretty absurd numbers. That 2,000-yard rushing club is rare air. Yeah, and oh, yeah, uh, only 58 yards last week. So let's, uh, I, I wish that that was the blueprint. Maybe it is. Maybe <laughs> the Cardinals figured it out and the Seahawks can replicate it. But I would not be surprised if he does, in fact, have a few more yards on that one. Okay, we could keep going on this, but I think it's probably time to give folks what we need to see happen on Sunday for the Seahawks to get a win. John, I'm going to let you go first this week. I'm going to start with the guy we just talked about. Keep Henry in check again. Don't let him, you know, I don't think you need to keep him to like 50 yards or anything, but just don't let him control the game. Don't let him, you know, have that five-yard a carry average and 100 and let's say keep him under 100. I'd be I'd be okay with yep. giving him his 80 or 90 yards. What should we do on the other side of the ball? You know, I, I want to see more of the pass protection we saw for Russell Wilson. Again, the, the three sacks is a little misleading. He, he kind of went down to avoid contact when he was scrambling around so keep keep him clean again I think this offense is going to be really hard to stop anytime Russell Wilson has time to operate I'm going to give two that are related to the defensive side of the ball first of all I want to see pressure on the quarterback last week the Seahawks pass rush won at a rate of 53 percent that is very high Daryl Taylor looked good I would like to see him uh, I'd like to see him with another sack and this goes hand in hand I want to see a false start I want Daryl Taylor to get a sack because of the crowd noise and the extra half second or second that he's going to get I also want the fans at Lumen Field to be so loud that there is at least one false start I like it how good was his sack, by the way? Oh, my gosh. He just wrecked that right tackle. He wrecked him, and it was right after Clint Hurt had said, "What? do you not like nice things? Like, when are you actually going to get to the quarterback? Yeah. Well, that was he fun. did. It was fun. It is fun to watch. It is going to be so fun to watch the Seahawks and the Titans battle it out on Sunday. We can't wait to see you at the game, and we can't wait to rejoin you next week on another edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.